Hello and welcome to Jeffrey Goes To. For this episode, Jeffrey went to the Dead South and we saw them at La Riviera in Madrid. We were both actually in the same place for once. And that's me, Gordon, and my brother John. Hello. So before we kick off, just point you towards our website, jeffreymusic.rocks, which is where you can find links to everything. We're on social media and Spotify and Deezer. But if you go via the website, that's uh, where everything is. So, as I just said, we went to La Riviera in Madrid, and we were both actually in the same country for once, and we went to the actual same gig. So I'm not sure how often this will be happening, but as often as possible. That would be nice, yeah. Yes, there's uh, finance and things to dis- to consider, but um, yeah, it's nice to do it a bit more. Quite a should, should we first of all talk about the parking? Well, the parking was was fine. It wasn't fine. It wasn't fine at all because Google Maps said that there was a park, a car, uh, a parking garage just around the corner, and it's not there. Everybody, there is no parking garage just around the corner. We had to cross the well, what passes for a river in Madrid, and um, park about half a mile, a mile away, in a completely different area, and ended up then being because we tried to get there early so we could get very near the stage, and we ended up being well, not late, but you know. Not as early as planned. Not but, early, but there was quite a sort of a stressful moment of trying to sort of na- navigate central Madrid traffic and get the and find a bloody car park. Yeah, it didn't help that Google Maps said there was dozens of car parks that that weren't there, didn't really exist. Yeah, and actually, it was quite easy once you knew where it was. So my my advice is, um, if you're going to La Riviera in Madrid, go to the park, car park we used, which I can't remember the name of. It's on Avenida Portugal. Yeah, it says public. On Google Maps, if you look for a public car park as opposed to a car park, it might oh, right. actually be there. That okay. would be my advice. That's what I learned. That's what I take away from that moment. Okay, well, that was a, a, a very unpleasant, stressful moment of me trying to drive around central Madrid looking for a bloody car park that didn't seem to be there. And getting increasing, increasingly antsy, as I thought we were getting later and later. Uh, but as it was, we arrived in plenty of time and the car park was quite easy. Just wasn't where we expected I did feel for you a little going round all those really tight yeah. roads with loads of traffic and not knowing where the hell we were going to park. You didn't express much sympathy at the time, I'd just like to say, no. although it is well, nice to hear it now, sort of like yeah. a week later. Well, I was trying to help by, I was concentrating Keeping on quiet. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm a quiet man. Yeah, well, fair enough. So shall we talk about the venue then? Because um, um, I was quite keen to go to this venue because I hadn't actually been before. And it's very sort of iconic Madrid venue. What did you think of it? I thought it's a good size. I liked it. It was a bit weird that they've got the bar in the middle of the room where you would expect to find a mixing desk. But I don't know if the mixing desk was actually in on there, actually. I never even saw it. No, I didn't either. I, I thought it was quite a nice design, the way that they put sort of the bar there. But it, it, did, it was odd because it did obviously mean that the back half of the room is effectively unusable from an audience perspective. So you limited your capacity, but perhaps that was because the capacity was limited anyway due to health and safety. Yeah, possibly. But it was sort of a nice wide venue. Yeah, it's kind of a little bit fan-shaped, isn't it? Yeah, it's certainly um, sort of circular in some respects, isn't it? Yeah, I I was expecting something more hall-like with a sort of more traditional kind of rectangular with a stage at the sort of narrow end. But no, it was quite fan-like and... Even though it's quite a, a popular venue for reasonably big name bands play there, it was actually you felt it felt very intimate, and I felt very close. I mean, we weren't far from the band anyway, but it did feel quite small once you're inside. Even though it obviously has got you know a couple of thousand capacity or something. Yeah, I did. I think it did feel a bit smaller than 
it actually is. Some of yeah. us, when we were going to the toilets, didn't realise they'd be quite that far away. Oh, right, that's how you judge a venue's size, is it? Not normally, but that was just one thing I noticed when I... Distance to the loo. ...wandered into the back and then realised it was further than I was expecting. Yeah. No, I mean, it is. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, if, if a band's playing Madrid, if you can't play the massive, you know, Wizink Arena, which is 15,000-odd people, if you can't fill something as big as that, or, you know, or the stadiums or whatever, it's kind of the next thing down, really. There's a few theatres that people play, but essentially it's... That's the one that pretty much everybody plays. Um, so I was quite uh, surprised that it was actually felt so sort of intimate. But it's a, it's a good venue, I think. But I do have one gripe about it. And what's and that? The sound. I thought the sound was dreadful. But is that the venue or the sound fellow? Well, you tell me. I don't know, obviously, because we've only been to one gig there. But I thought it was atrocious, the sound. I agree that the sound was very poor. But I don't know whether it is rattling around some tin shed or whether it's actually the the sound person so I, I can't i can't blame blame but I, I can certainly agree it sounded bad well you'd imagine both of those but the sound person for the dead south you'd imagine is an experienced sound engineer knows how to do that knows how to twiddle the knobs and do all of that fancy stuff but similarly you'd imagine a venue as well established as la riviera would know how to twiddle the knobs and make sure that you didn't get that distortion and echo and, and muddiness so whoever it was i don't know because when the support act were on, which we'll talk about in a sec, I kind of thought, oh, it must have been tuned for the Dead South, who are more kind of acoustic-driven, and the support act were more electric. So I thought, oh, well, maybe it'll be better for the Dead South. But then there was bits where, you know, it was it was just awful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it did, towards the end of the Dead South, it it's improved slightly. So it obviously had been twiddling a little bit. but uh, Maybe. Maybe I just got used to it, didn't it? Mm, well, could stop be stop well. hearing it after a while, don't you? You just enjoy yourself. But... About Elliot Brood, then let's do that. So they they were the support act, Elliot Brood, who are a alternative country Americana act, according to the interweb. What what did you think of them? Well, I quite liked them. Um, I thought they were. I mean, they're they're kind of um, they do have a, a, a banjo player who also plays guitar and sings. They have a guitarist who plays bass pedals and some other stuff and a drummer. So they're a three piece and. Obviously, that puts quite a lot of pressure on each musician to be pretty good and make quite a full sound when you do that, when you're in your three-piece. But I thought they were pretty good um, on the whole. I liked, the, you know, obviously played well, sang well, etc. I thought some of the material was a little samey. So it did. It was quite difficult to catch on because it's a band I don't know very well, or a band I don't know at all, sorry. And therefore, you've got to find ways to hook in. And there was only a couple of songs that I kind of w- went away and was able to really remember. So it kind of did feel a little bit samey. And I have a bugbearer here as well, which was no bass player. And I'm sorry, but bass pedals are not a bass player. It's not the same thing. And I think that I know they like being a three piece. I know that's part of their shtick, but I kind of think you'd sound a lot better with a bass player. What do you think? Yeah, I think it probably, well, again, it's, it's hard to say without the, because the sound wasn't that great. But yeah, I mean, the, the bass guitar obviously does usually add the extra sort of volume to the sound so it would be better but yeah i think it's difficult because like you say it is kind of part of their identity being this free piece do you then change and become more like virtually every other band or do you sort of you know keep your identity it is it is difficult and there is no easy answer to it but i think if you i mean if you sound better then i think that kind of probably sways it even if you don't 
because you can still have an identity as a four piece. You don't lose your identity just because there's four of you. Well, you can a little bit if you if you if you become more normal. If you start sounding more like everyone else, I think you can to a certain extent lose your identity. I mean, ultimately, what matters is your songs, isn't it, and how you come across. But it is part of it, I think. But yeah, I, I suppose that's my point. Is you're, it's about your songs at the end of the day because obviously it's music. Um, so obviously there's, there is show, show business, the show in us to it. So your identity is important, of course it is. But I think it it, it is essentially about the, the music, the songs, and you'll sound better of a bass player, not just because you get a fuller sound, but just the whole what a bass does, I think would have just helped take the music up a notch. But that said, I, I am kind of being a little, well, I'm not being picky. I'm making quite a, I think, an important point. But at the same time, I do think they were good. And I will certainly listen to them a bit more. And we'll put a couple of Elliot Brood tracks on the playlist as well. Yes, as our little extra tracks. Yes, yes. Yeah, we have managed to find one track that we know they definitely... We couldn't find a set list. So we know one track they definitely did play, which is called Write It All Down For You, which we'll put on. Which is a really decent track. Yeah, it's very catchy. It's got that sort of hey, shouty bit. Hey, hey, hey. Which everyone shouted along to. Yeah, I can't remember. I can't remember who did the shouting, but I do know the song and I did enjoy it at the time and I have enjoyed it since listening to it. Well, pretty much everyone did the shouting, I think. Mm. uh, Yeah, They they did go down very well, didn't they? They went down brilliantly well, yeah. I I was discussing this with my good lady wife and I don't know whether it's a sort of a European thing to get so much into the support band, but I know that when we went to see Balthazar, which again was a largely European audience, the support band there went down very well as well which obviously it helped that she was very good as well but uh, so i imagine that does have some effect but um yeah it was kind of like they were the audience were you know came to party definitely whatever whatever happened but uh yeah they certainly got got well into it from from quite early on yeah i think i mean certainly madrid audiences have a bit of a reputation for being quite getting quite into it and being quite being quite loud but yeah, they seemed to be up for it from the very f- moment they sat on the stage. They were like, "Yep, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna have some fun, and we're gonna, we're gonna make this good," um, which is great. Uh, you know, I, I'm really glad. I'm really happy for Elliot Brood that 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 they got a great reception because obviously they're a really talented group. And uh, having listened to them since, I have quite enjoyed their stuff. Yeah, I mean, on the audience, they got the, I kind of got the impression that people just come along to gigs not necessarily knowing the band and they just think oh it's, it's an american band or a canadian band or whatever and they'll go see them because cer- certainly at this gig i don't really remember seeing many dead south t-shirts or anything there was one or two well that's an interesting poll isn't it i didn't actually think to look out for that. i just assumed most people knew who they were because otherwise why would you splash out the cash on the band i mean people like us had actually been waiting every two years for this gig so um there's obviously a, a core uh, it'd been moved venue three well moved twice so three different venues um from a pub to a medium-sized venue to this to la riviera so their popularity has certainly grown in that time but there's obviously there's a core of those that have stuck with them from that two years um that i would say probably must be fans and then there might be some more cash people that have just shown up thinking that it's a gig in madrid why not bit of fun maybe seen the you know in hell what's it in hell i'll be in good company on youtube and that's it yeah, I think I think there's a bit of that. I mean, I'd say definitely they. It seemed to be a, you know, less sort of out and out fans. I don't know how you can tell that really. I mean, they seem to be singing along and jumping about and stuff. 
We're so, jumping out. Well, you're just going on the t-shirts. Well, there's the t-shirts. There's okay, the sure. um, uh, item of evidence number one: the t- lack of Dead South t-shirts. There was you. You were wearing a Dead South t-shirt. Yep, I was, and there was Your only blue trash I think, t-shirt. One or two more that I saw, but I didn't go around the venue. No, exactly. There was all I don't know. There was also just other things like some people, like there was a group next to us that spent the second half of the gig looking at their phones. Was that the guy in the white T-shirt? Was that that lot? Well, there was a group, yeah. Well, to our, my left, your left. Oh, God, they were so annoying. They were so irritating. I think he spent a lot of time just going to the toilet and coming back with an enormous amount of energy. So I can't, I can't imagine what he might have been doing in the toilet. I, I don't know. So yeah. energising. Who knows? Obviously, um... Probably not just his T-shirt that was white. <laughs> There's also, I think, the um, after in hell, you I'll be in good company. There were a few people who just turned around and left, which suggests... Yeah, that, wasn't that, that weird? Few, there were a few casual fans. And also, clearly near the end of the gig, because it was the yeah. penultimate song of the main set. You just think, all oh, right, that'll do. Bye. <laughs> but that was so weird, wasn't it? It was that whole group that just came out, wasn't it? It was it allowed us to get even closer to the front, so it was actually good news. But how yeah, no, odd. Fine. How odd that you would do that. I mean, you, there, was, there was still... Four songs maybe left after that, was it? Three. Three, three. after that. Was it? Let me just check the Oh, yeah. Three after that. But, I mean, even if they knew that, even if they could sort of... Even if they'd bothered checking the set list from previous gigs and knew that... It, was, it just seems very weird to me, that. Yeah. I mean, it was clearly near the end. I wouldn't expect them to have known the exact set list, even though I had been looking on set list off heaven, so I did know. But um, I don't think many people do that. Going back to Elliot Brood, is we've picked a second track, haven't we? Because we couldn't. I don't think we mentioned that. Oh yeah. Well, we we'll we'll put the set list from the Dead South as our set list, and then we'll put on the bottom of that a couple of extra tracks from Elliot Brood. So yes, one of them we said already. Yeah. So was, write it all down for you. They definitely played. Yeah. And then we've picked another one called Cadillac Dust, which we think they played, but we're not hundred percent sure. So we might be wrong. But you know doesn't really matter it's not that important it it's it's a decent song so we usually i say usually we've only done this once before but yeah we our plan is to more or less go through the set list but not not go into great detail in each song or anything but just to give it some structure so we kind of knew it was going to start with diamond ring so what did you think about the, the kind of the way they came on and and started it's obviously um, the sort of most designed bit of the show from a rock and roll band's point of view, isn't it? How they smack yeah. you between the eyes. So, I mean, well, when we bought the tickets, however many years ago it was, yeah. <laughs> this gig was part of the Sugar and Joy tour. So we would have got the set. So if you look on YouTube, there's a show in Boston, uh, which is a really good recording, so it's, it is worth watching if anyone's interested. And that is the exact set we would have got, because I saw them earlier in Newcastle in England, Newcastle, and that the Boston show is exactly what we got. So I think this is pretty much what we'd have got. So the intro tape is Active Approach, which is the the opening to the Sugar and Joy album and which then goes into Diamond Ring on the album, which is how they started here. So they they're playing act active approach and then they come on and start playing as per their album, which is the recruiting. Because the set behind as well is the same as as the um sugar and joy with the sort of gothic stained glass windows with each of them yeah. each of them having a symbol well 
at the top they've got a symbol for each member of the band yeah and at the bottom or the the rest of it really there is a picture which is each one signifies the song right because you probably didn't know but when they played that song that window lit up no i didn't notice that no it's a level of detail that escaped me there were a couple of, well yeah it's also harder because two of the songs weren't on the set anymore so right. <laughs> it, uh, black lung was one of them and snake man are the two that they played oh right but they didn't have and a window. the windows were still there so when they were on just that window lit up i can't remember one of them was miss mary and i don't know what the other window is but there's songs that didn't make it this far on the set but um yeah that's the significance but they are nice those windows i do quite like them no it's, it the actual set was visually nice visually um i don't know it wasn't exactly striking but i think it really did suit the band and it suited the scale of the venue as well. It wasn't like sometimes you get like a band that's in a relatively small venue that are used to playing a slightly bigger stage and their set just looks a bit off. It just doesn't look quite right on that particular stage. Whereas no, theirs look perfectly in scale. It looked good. And I'd say I, d- I didn't know about the windows lighting up. I didn't spot that. They also, have, they also have lanterns in front of them, which used to light up when they were doing things as well. But I don't know, I didn't never even notice if they did that in Madrid because I was um, closer. At Newcastle, we were in the balcony at the back. And when somebody did a solo or whatever, they, their lantern would light up. Oh, OK. But they were quite near the front of the stage, so we did, couldn't really see them where we were. So what did you think about the way that the beginning then? Yeah, it's um, a good standard opening. I mean, Diamond Ring isn't my favourite song. But um, it, as I said, it's just really they're just sort of copying the opening of the album, aren't they, to get in there? Yeah, I mean, I I do like the song Diamond Ring. It is I don't know if it's exactly one of my favourites, but it's certainly I think a good song and a good strong opener. And I was slightly underwhelmed with the beginning because I kind of wanted them more to sock me between the eyes a little bit more, and I really wanted kind of Nate to be really kind of growling into the microphone and, and me thinking, "Fucking hell, it's the Dead South right in front of me," and to sort of get that jolt of excitement that you get when a a familiar band appears on stage and it kind of just felt a little bit underwhelming that they just sort of came on and played and you know then he's just baby's got a diamond ring it wasn't well he doesn't sing like that does he he's got that maybe he's got a diamond ring thing that he's got in his voice baby wants a diamond ring my baby wants a diamond ring i think you'd think that was uncanny wasn't it an uncanny impression there but I, mean, I love his voice. I think he's got so much character and uh, and it perfectly complements with Scott's voice as well. I think, you know, vocally, they're just absolutely fantastic. So I kind of really wanted that kind of like throwing at me straight away. And he just felt very gentle and understated. So I was I was kind of thinking, ah, I really wanted that to be a big smack in the gob. But it wasn't. Yeah. I mean, that is how the album starts, isn't it? The album is quite slow and it builds up. Yeah, those first couple of tracks, and then it kind of like the hit in the face is track sort of two or three. Blue trash on the album. Every man needs a chew on the gig. Well, yeah, that's next, and uh, that's definitely one of my favourites. I think that's probably one of the first songs I ever heard of theirs, and I really, really liked it. So I was really glad to see that was on the set list. So I definitely really enjoyed that one. Yeah, and it's in the same place on Illusion and Doubt, so they obviously know it's that same thing because the Illusion and Doubt has the same sort of start up it starts with boots and then goes into this and on the set list the picture of the set list we have as well shows that every man needs a chew and blue trash were interchangeable at this point because blue trash was um crossed out yeah so they did chew instead of that which which for me i, pre- I, I like them both but i prefer every man needs a chew so 
Yeah, I think that... Well, they're both crackers, I think. I would prefer Blue Trash, but it's fine to have uh, Every Man Needs a Chew because I, I do really like both songs. Well, you're a lot more familiar with The Dead South than I am. So my, my, my familiarity is kind of with like half a dozen songs and... I've got reasonably good knowledge of. But after that, I'm slightly less, you know, I don't know the detail in the same way you do. I don't know the albums as well as you do. I'm not as into bluegrass as you are, i.e. not at all. Although I do like The Dead South, I think they're very good. So I kind of, so even though I knew the first two songs really well, I was like, after that, I'm just kind of slightly, un- I'm losing track a little bit of the set list and I'm sort of only hooking in when I hear a chorus and I think, oh yeah, I know this one until we get a little bit further down. So the next sort of block of songs, I think you're going to have to do most of the heavy lifting here. Yeah, well, the the, re- the recap comes next, which I think is kind of... Uh, this sounds like a stupid statement, but it's like it's it's an incre- it's a very Dead South song. It's kind of like, if you wanted to explain the Dead South to someone, this is a good one, because it's very, it's very stop-start. It's the one where they stop and start about three or four times in it. And it is very... It's, sorry, Nate shouting and there's a bit of good swearing in there which uh i'm not big on swearing in records but the dead south do do it very well they really do i love the way they swear yeah i don't mind swearing in records but it, dep- it depends there's a, there's a bit too much of it in pop these days i think but i do really like the way the dead south do it yeah nate swearing is excellent so it is uh, the recap does does have one and that's uh it's a story of a fight and it keeps um stopping and starting but uh, they seem to. It's, I think it's a live favourite of theirs. It's, I think they've played it every time. So that was that was the the recap, and then we had Dead Man's Isle, which uh, was another one that I recognised reasonably well, and and enjoyed a lot. Yeah, that's one of the few because Scott sings, sings the odd song, one or two off each album, and that's definitely one of the better ones that he sings. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of the way you know Noel used to sing a song on Oasis, and it was clearly not anywhere near as good a singer as Liam. Which is probably a bit unfair, actually, because Scott's a really good singer. It's just that um, it, it's just that I kind of miss Nate if he's not singing, because I just think his his voice has just got so much more character. So I always kind of think, you know, I really like you, Scott. I think you're brilliant and a uh, great stage presence and a fantastic singer. But can Nate, Nate lead? I think so. I, I think for me as well, I think the... I feel bad saying that now. Yeah. Because Scott is great. He is. But I think the, the style of songs he sings aren't generally my favourites either. So next is Boots, which is the opening track for Illusion and Doubt, um, which I don't know if... Do you remember that one? Well, I, I mean, I've listened to the set list since, obviously, yeah. um, uh, ahead of this, so I, I do I do now, yes. So I, I kind of know them all now. There, there is a point where it starts to get a little... There's a couple of points, actually, through the set list where I kind of felt that there were slightly l- lulls in in the in the set list and i think we were approaching the first of the low slight lulls from my point of view yeah i i think i agree because I, I don't think i mean boots and snake man which is next yeah um i don't think are their strongest songs although i don't think i, I don't really dislike any any dead south songs particularly except maybe the manly way but uh they didn't play that um but i think as this list goes it's they're slightly weaker songs, I would say. Well, I, yeah, I mean, some songs just sound better on record than live. You know, some things don't necessarily transfer as well. And it it just... Because, obviously, if you're doing bluegrass with a relatively limited number of instruments, there's obviously only so much variety of sound you can create. And therefore, 
trying to sort of cover a full hour and a half set list. They came in at 9.30, bang on, they left at 11. So they've got that standard hour and a half. You're going to have changes of pace and changes of energy within that, which is which is perfectly fine because there's a lot of very good high points. But as I said, there's just a couple of points where I kind of thought, I don't know, this is dragging slightly at the moment. And this was the start of one of them. And there's another one a bit later on as well. It wasn't that I didn't like those songs when I hear them in the playlist or whatever, but yeah, they're a little. I kind of this is the bit where I kind of think, well, I'm just not that into bluegrass because I start tiring here and there. Yeah. So, uh, so moving up down the set list, we get we then get Black Lung, which um, I think is a great song. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Not written by the band, written by their friend Eric, and he's the guy who has played cello in for Danny. Oh, okay. Because well, Danny, Danny was, was briefly fired. No, no, before that, because a, Danny's a structural engineer, so he had work commitments. So before they were famous or were this successful, he had work commitments, so Eric would um, stand in for them. He's just a friend musician, and he would um, do all Danny's parts. He also stood in for Nate, Nate's guitar anyway, when Nate broke his hand. He would he was sort of the fifth member for a bit, playing the guitar, so that's him. He usually wears a, wears a sort of pork pie type hat. I think there's a video of one of their concerts where there's the fifth member when Nate broke his hand. Yeah, it's a Red Rocks. The Red Rocks one. Yeah, I was going to say Red that... Rocks, yeah. Which is really good. Really, really watchable. Yeah, and there are a few as well where he's taken Danny's place as well, which are sort of earlier videos, as I said before. Danny joined the band full-time as opposed to a part-time member. Right. Okay, um, and he wrote anyway, this song he wrote anyway. Black Lung. Black Lung, Black Lung the well, song. Well, it's a cracker. They're good for him. It is, yeah. Good old Eric. Uh, yeah, and, you know, Scott's bit, where he goes, you know, like, remember the night when I killed all of my best friends? As as if you might not remember. Yeah. Uh, which <laughs> night was that? Which night was that again? Mm-hmm. Was it a Tuesday? Yeah, it does feel like that would be the the uh, the, the standout event of the day, doesn't it? Well, I, I would remember. Yeah. If that's not the most memorable thing that happened that day, then bloody hell, what? <laughs> Some odd going on. Remember the night with the barroom fight where I killed all of my best friends. Moving on, there's then That Bastard Son off the first album, Good Company, which, again, it's, it's not, it's perfectly fine, but it's not one of my favourite Dead South songs. I'd agree, yeah. This was another little lull for me. Well, I don't think the lull lasts very long because I think next is the Good Lord, which I really like. I mean, it's a bit mid-paced, so maybe as someone less familiar with the the music, it might not have grabbed them. No, it didn't grab me as much live at this point. Again, this was uh, after after you say as you said that uh, that bastard son not being quite as quite as strong, and then this one being more mid-paced for me. They, this was uh, well, I'm just repeating the same point. It was just a bit of a lull. That's all. And then we get Long Gone, which is the first track off the first album, which was a nice surprise. I wasn't expecting this one. I really enjoy that. It's a lot higher paced, short, short song. Yeah, that was when I didn't know when they played that. And that's good. It's got a bit of Nate, starts with Nate shouting down there, the intro bit. So that's really good. Anyway, so that was a, a little treat. And then we get Spaghetti, which, again, we're back to a little lull. Because mm. I don't, I like it on the record, but... I don't think it's that strong live. And most disappointing, when we actually see the set list, again, this was alternating between um, Spaghetti and Broken Cowboy, 
and Broken Cowboy is a great song. It's much better, isn't it? One of their big epics, and I've not heard it live yet as well. I've seen them live three times now, and they've not played that at all. So that's disappointing, I think. I would definitely rather have seen that, because they didn't really do that many of epic of the longer songs. There's one to come, but but that was the only one, really. I suppose, yeah, there's one to come, as you say. And um, But yeah, I, I kind of, when we saw the... The photograph of the of the set list where it had been crossed out. I remember being similarly disappointed because uh, I didn't think much that much to spaghetti. And as I said, this was this was the end of the last lull because then we go into the song "The Dead South," which is pretty good. Yes, it's sea shanty time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But that was fun. I thought, um, and I, 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 you know, I, I remained quite concentrated throughout and quite good at staying in the moment in gigs, um, even during lulls. Uh, but this is when I really started sort of tapping my foot again and and being slightly less distracted by the very annoying guy in the white t-shirt to my left and actually just enjoying the gig a lot more. And I think with the Dead South, it's kind of it's the opposite to spaghetti. It's one that I'm less likely to listen to on a record, but live is actually quite jolly. You can imagine yourself, you know, sat there swinging your pint and singing along. Yeah, yeah. In in true sea shanty fashion. A bottle of grog. It'd be a bottle of grog if it was sea, proper sea shanty, wouldn't it, rather than a pint. And the uh, the prices inside La Riviera certainly wasn't buying a bloody pint. <laughs> Fair enough. We had a, a little glass, a little half litre glass, wasn't it, for about six quid? Oh, is that what it was? I didn't buy it, fortunately. I don't know, a small one. Whatever, I don't know if it was half a litre, but it was. I think it was probably less than that. It was probably a third. Mm, probably a third of a litre, like which was mm-hmm. uh, about six quid. And I think it was about about 10 or 11 quid for a, for a full, bigger one, which presumably was twice the size, given the pricing structure. There were some people did have big. They looked yeah. like very big pints, actually, almost the point that they're probably a litre. I don't. Well, maybe, maybe, but I don't think we had half a litre. I don't think it was quite that. Well, maybe we did. Maybe we did. Maybe I'll pay more attention to the uh, to the volume of the glasses next time. But I wasn't really focused on it. I just thought, bloody hell, that's expensive. But it's typical gig prices, to be fair. So well, it sounds quite excessive beyond what, even it, gig prices. Well, it's what I pay. It's what you pay in um, venues that I know. So yeah. We usually get if you pay you granted usually paying six or seven pounds but that's for a pint isn't it not a half well i i was well disposed because the actual because as we said we bought these tickets like a couple of years ago and they weren't that expensive then and then uh that the, the promoter went out of business so we lost all the money on that so um the dead south did offer us tickets to this gig at for a very reduced price of 890 which is extremely good value i think even adding in the money we lost on the original ticket mm. and then gave us a free signed poster so uh, I was feeling very well disposed from a you know financial angle, and felt that they'd been very very fair to us. So I didn't mind giving the venue a few extra quid for some crappy beer. Yeah, it allowed you to be philosophical about the beer price. Well, yeah, I mean if you've paid like fifty quid to get in or whatever, and you think bloody hell, you're now charging me this. But if you've yeah. you know got in for on you know next to nothing, and you and you got a free free signed poster, you think well that's all right. Yeah, because the ticket prices were actually very reasonable, weren't they? And it was um, yeah, even originally, yeah, you know, for for buying, even after buying two sets of tickets, it yeah. was <laughs> less than you would have probably paid for four tickets in a lot of places. Absolutely. So, um, as I said, uh, quite happy to pay. But then, then we, um, having discussed the price of the beer and the uh, tickets and whatnot, the uh, next song after the Dead South was the biggie for me. Was for me the high point. Deep when the river's high. This was uh, this is my top point of the gig. Loved this. Yeah, and this is the epic 
song off the first album, Good Company, which I always forget how good this song is because I don't listen to the first album much. It was, it was uh, you know, absolutely excellent, and although betrayed by the rubbish sound again because it involves them really kind of hollering into their microphones, really kind of shouting away, um, and the fact that that got so distorted was really, again, showed up the dodgy sound, which is a real pity, but the song is an absolute cracker. And uh, Nate finished it. After it finished, he said, that's for everyone going to heaven, and now this is for everyone going to hell. So obviously then we had in hell, I'll be in good company, the the sort of big YouTube hit. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if they get, get to see them doing their little dance. Yeah, I, I, I do like this song, but I actually don't think it's one of their best. I think it's definitely in the good songs camp that I enjoy, uh, absolutely. But as a sort of live experience, I think it was only kind of middle of the road compared to the others. I think there's much stronger points. So I definitely enjoyed it. Definitely uh, thought it was a, a, you know, good. But I think there are better live tracks. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's a, that they have better tracks full stop, I think. Yeah. But it is a very, I think, good and simple song as the video is. Well, it's a whimsical good. video. It's a whimsical video that catches your eye because it is fun. Yeah. And I mean, you know, again, it, it's not a song I listen to that much if I'm putting the Dead South on. But like most Dead South fans, it was the one that hooked me in. You know, seeing seeing the video to this on 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 YouTube. Was this and, your first uh, introduction? Yeah, like well, most nine times out of ten, when people say, "How did you discover the Dead South?" they will all say that you know I was watching stuff on YouTube and some algorithm threw this at me. That's not how I discovered them. How did you discover them? You told me about them. I thought that might be the answer to that one. So I then, uh, and you sent me a link to In Hell I'll Be In Good Company. So I watched it on YouTube and uh, and enjoyed it. And then I remember listening to them. And that's when I, Every Man uh, Needs a Chew was the first song that when I actually played them proper. And I thought, oh, I like this. As I say, it's uh, despite that and despite my admiration for the band and my love of Nate, Nate's uh, fantastic singing voice. Uh, a very sort of charismatic voice and Scott's very charismatic stage performance. I still not a massive bluegrass fan. And I've just looked up now as well. Um, in Hell I'll Be in Good Company on YouTube at 300 million views. Blimey. That's amazing, isn't it? It is. It, it is uh, mind boggling. And probably three of those, something like that, three or four of those maybe. Yeah. And that's um, it's over five years. But, you know, it's still right, it's 60 million a year or whatever. It's still pretty good going, isn't it? Um, I mean, it's, it's very good, you know. If the if Jeffrey podcast gets up to those numbers, I'll, I'll be fine. Well, we're nearly there. Not far off. Just a few hundred million short. Yes, approximately 300. <laughs> but, you know, we're, uh, we're nearly there. Give or take, yep. Details, details. Indeed. So then we're sort of in the, the last song of the main set with Honey You. Yes. Were you familiar with this song? Yep. Well, I'd listened to most of the set list before. Yeah. Anyway, because I, I put together a set list from what I'd seen on setlist.fm. And um, so I had listened to the set list a few times. But but generally, there is a certain sameness. Um, so I, I, as I said, I, was, I, wasn't, I didn't have that depth of knowledge that you do. Hmm. Like, I wasn't just like someone who just come in, wandered in off the street and didn't have a clue. You know, I had listened to them. Because Honey You is one of my favourite songs of theirs. Yeah. No, it's a goodie. You can see why the end on it. It's a, it's a biggie. Yeah, no, it is great. I love the uh, the banjo solo in it. Yeah, and, and I like um, I do like the way uh, Colton sort of engages with the audience. 
he's got a kind of a nice sort of innocence about him and a kind of in the sort of same way as you kind of imagine Nate's been around the block a few times and Scott's got a kind of swagger about him and he's, you know, really gets into the guitar, which is really great to see. Colton just kind of like sits there and he looks like he's almost off children's TV. He's got a kind of a, so, you know, almost a, just such a simple innocence about him just twanging away on his banjo. I, I really kind of I find that quite endearing. Yeah, so that was the end of the main set. And between us all, we managed to cheer them back out. Yeah, quite a long gap they left, didn't they? It was. They were milking it. They were a little, weren't they? I mean, it wasn't it, it wasn't the longest I've ever known, but it was um, longer than the average, definitely. They were making us work for it. Maybe it didn't seem. Maybe it was only like two minutes, but it sort of feels like quite a long time when you're just sitting there trying to maintain a level of volume. Yeah, yeah, it did feel a while because you obviously you know um, they're going to come back out anyway. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So you just kind of think like, okay, we've cheered a bit and clapped a bit, yeah. you know, come on, just come, come back on, you know. Yeah. Some we've earned it. Are, we've earned it. You've earned it. Come on. Some of us have got a car park off halfway across town to walk to. Exactly. That wasn't cheap either. No, no, that was more on the, the beer levels. Yeah. I think. <laughs> That's the drawback of the car park we recommend. Yeah. You've got to have deep pockets. So they came back out and played You Are My Sunshine, which is a cover version, obviously, yep. um, from Easy Listening for Jerks Part 1, which is the uh, the Bluegrass covers EP. And Part 2 is sort of rock punk. Like Chop Suey. Chop Suey, People Are Strange, which is on the set list as well, but crossed out. What was that on for? Or was it just crossed out? It was just crossed out. There was no... Okay. There was a potential extra track. Yes. Somewhere in the middle of the set it was. I can't remember exactly where... But um, it was crossed out. But yeah, and you are my sunshine. They played, which um, I, I really enjoyed. I wasn't uh, expecting to enjoy it so much. I, I, I kind of s- same, same because it's not a favourite song of mine in any other format, nor of theirs on their album. Um, but I suppose just because you can sing along, and it's it's sort of so, just such a familiar song that you can just sing along to. It was just a lot of fun. I think it sort of struck me, it's actually a better song than you think of, because most of the people are just familiar with the chorus. True. You didn't realise, actually, it, it is sort of a better song than you perhaps give it credit for without thinking about it too much. And yes, it does have the, the sing-along element too. But yeah, it's... Yeah, um, and the sing-along was that. quite... Um, you know, the, the whole room was singing along, and this is obviously, for most people, they were going to be Spanish. As I said, we're in Madrid, therefore this is not in their first language. So, I mean, of course, they may not have been singing particularly accurately, but people were really getting in and singing along throughout the whole set, actually. People were very much into it. They they, they definitely uh, won over the crowd. Not that they, not that there was much need to win them over. They started off in front and stayed there. Mm. And then they kept the sing-along atmosphere going and finished with Banjo Odyssey. Yeah, about cousins doing it. Yeah. So I didn't realise that's what it was about. I'd never really paid enough attention. But that was clear when I listened to the lyrics during the actual set as well. <laughs> Again, I hadn't picked up on that. But that was it's always a great song, isn't it? It's got a, a real catchy song. Yeah, definitely. I know it's always great live as well. Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. And it, it kind of like really sent you away, kind of satisfied that, you know, you'd had a, this great time and you'd seen this quite iconic, important band. So it was it was a really strong ending, I thought. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, really. Um, well, you know, kind of really from after spaghetti, as I said, which is um, a little bit weaker. But um, it yeah, was that, that last six songs are pretty good. There's just those couple of lulls that 
uh, I felt it kind of lost its pace a little uh, or lost its quality or whatever it lost, but it lost something. It wasn't quite as strong for those few, uh, uh, those couple of points. But, but yeah, on, on the whole, I think uh, in terms of sort of the, the experience, the evening, it was a lot of fun and it was, uh, uh, I'm really, really glad I went and, uh, you know, had, had a great time as did most of the people, apart from those weird people that left as soon as they'd finished in hell being good company, apart from them, who buggered off then. Well, well, we didn't, they didn't like them well. anyway. They just well, I didn't, didn't like them. Didn't bother staying for some reason. They were a bit kind of shovy and pushy. I didn't like them. We were kind of edging to the front slowly with some very, very clever elbow work where we didn't annoy anybody, but we managed to inch forward time and again hmm. um, with, you know, remarkable skill and uh, guile. But those bastards were just straight in there, barging through, shoving and pushing. And they were quite big. So they certainly didn't have our technique. I think uh, uh, talking of other antisocial behaviour, what was quite strange was um, there was somebody smoking. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was, wasn't there? Which, um, if you were the idiot smoking, don't do it. Yeah, you're an idiot. Because it's really horrible. And in that case of my wife, it made her ill and she had to go to the back and get out the way and get have a drink, which was, goodness knows how much that cost. I think the, the other point I wanted to make as well about the gig is I, th- I think it was lacking one of the epics. So, because that is one of the, the things they do. And so, obviously, we mentioned Broken Cowboy, but something like that, you know, Gunsinger's Glory, which is one of my favourites, or The Massacre of El Karoke, or El Karoke, whatever it's called. Something like that, one of the slightly longer, really strong epic songs. I think I would have put one of those in the set. I think that's a good point. It did, because there, there were those points where it did feel a little bit light. Um, which we've mentioned already, and that would have certainly given it a lot more substance, I think. Yeah, because they do have variety. You know, they've got the the short little songs, and obviously Scott sings songs as well, which does have different. So they do vary a little bit in their, uh, you know, w- within what what they do, and they do have those medium paced ones as well, and that's fine. Like the Good Lord is a good choice if you're going to play one, so that's fine. But yeah, I think that just that part of their their armory was, was missing a little bit it was just that one song and they should have put another one or two in i think they have slightly less variety than you're saying just although there is variety on things like as you just described but I, I, as i said before i think just having just the four instruments and playing in the sort of similar style throughout you do you are kind of, and obviously no drums well there is a drum isn't there there's a bit there's a, a kick drum a little bit yeah and a couple of songs. plays yeah or, or nate plays in one song as well but in in um, I think that was the last one, wasn't it? Banjo Odyssey. Banjo Odyssey, and there was another song where, um, which I can't remember which one it was that Colton was playing. Yeah, the drumming. Yeah, Colton plays it m- most usually because it's is in his stage position. But uh, on Banjo Odyssey, Nate played it. But but because you don't have drums, so you you are much more limited, and your bass is played on a cello, um, which is fine because it's you know not not that different from a double bass. But I think it does tend the variety is slightly lacking in my view a little bit i mean i take your point a little bit but i mean you know i would go listen to sugar and joy and i think they do there is a variety of styles on there i think i think in terms of being you know this what we're calling it nouveau bluegrass americana is that the well i don't know you i would say new bluegrass stroke americana yes right okay that's our official title i think they do it better than anybody else that i've heard um i think they are the sort of the leaders of, of the pack and I do think that their stuff is very listenable too. But I do it for me personally. Just this, you know, I, it does pull because uh, it, I, I do get slightly tired 
of that style. But there you go, that's just me. Fair enough. For me, the, the Dead South, they all their background is generally within sort of rock and punk and bands like that. And that does show. And all the other bluegrass-influenced bands that I do listen to all have that same. They're all behind that. They're into punk or rock or metal or thrash or whatever. It's not just pure bluegrass. Because personally, I think pure bluegrass is is a little dull to me. Yeah, well, I guess, I guess you're... I mean, that's the point, is that it's not just... It is bluegrass that's informed by it in a much rockier style, which makes it much more accessible to people like me and people like you. Hmm. But but anyway, um, as you say, I think it did. Rec- I think your observation about it needing one of the epics in there to just give it a bit more substance, I think, is absolutely bang on. But other than that, I think it was uh, a very good uh, evening that was strongly recommended. So that's that then. That's our visit to see the Dead South and look forward to the next gig that we will both be attending, which will be in June or May for you, June for me. Yeah, May, June. Which will You're be going Patty to give Smith. A oh, you Patty Smith. Have. I was just going to say, Patty Smith. It's not. It's not not that secret, is it? And we could give away a signed poster from uh, what are they called the Dead South. The Dead South. Oh yeah, we could give away a signed poster. It seems we've got four of them. We're going to keep two, obviously. We could give them one away, but I don't know. What should we do? Should we have a? Someone's got to like do so much, surely. Um, like tweet, tweet so much, retweet this and cop. Tag us in or re. What do you do on Instagram? Don't you do you retweet as well, or do you? I oh, don't no, know. We, no, let's not do this because then we're going to have to give them postage and stuff. Hmm. I can't be bothered with that. Yeah. But the thought was there, uh, but we can't be bothered because we can't be bothered with working out the postage. Yeah, could be anywhere in the world as well. Exactly, and I, I'm not doing that. If somebody is willing to sort of meet me in the corner, go you know, That would be about as far as I'd go. Yeah. And the, and I've got them here. In Madrid, you haven't even got them in Leeds. No, no. So you've got to do it. Yeah. So I'm Although, not doing it. That might be a good thing, though. Post Brexit, it's hard to post anything anywhere. So yeah. So um, there isn't a competition for free signed poster of uh, the Dead South. Sorry, everyone, but we can't be asked. Awesome.